This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. If you ever stop listening to The Paul Cook Show, I am coming for you. Academy Award right here. (laughs) All right, all right. Paul Cook Talks. We have a guest here who's had some great guests. That's what it's all about. Welcome, Steve Schlanger. How are you, my friend? Interviewing someone who's interviewed others. (laughs) The guest who has the guest. That's right. Confusing the listener as much as possible. I think this is quite the strategy. I'm, I'm a big fan. I think it's good radio. Very good yeah, radio. Really I, mm-hmm. I well, the big thing is, I mean, you're not just talking to anyone. You're talking to two USA soccer starters on your podcast called Indirect. You uh, do uh, national sports as well with uh, NBC. And tell us, man, tell us about your your podcast and how it's been going. Uh, Well, it's been going well, and especially during the World Cup, it obviously has picked up even more momentum given the fact that, yes, Tim Ream, who is my co-host, has been playing for the U.S. and um, started every game uh, during their World Cup run. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's something that's really worked out to the benefit of the show uh, because to have that sort of an insight, I mean, he's not just a a guest that I have on the show. He's a co-host to have uh, a professional who's still playing and then who is playing at the world cup um, is as inside as you're going to get. And it, you know, really worked out great for us because going back even just a few weeks prior to the world cup, we didn't even know if he was going to be on the team because um, mm. he had been left out of the last few camps that the team had had, and it really didn't look like he was going to be included. And then he got the call late and um, wound up going to Qatar and then started every game and played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, uh, very interesting. I mean, they say the average age was 25, so it was the youngest team, but Tim is 35. Right. Uh, one of the oldest players they've ever had there uh, for the U.S. at the World Cup. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that even though the team at large was so young, uh, the fact that you can have someone like that who has that experience, and, and he's playing on a regular basis in the Premier League, and so he's playing at the mm-hmm. highest level of the game. Um, and it brings a different perspective and a maturity and um, just an overall insight that some of the younger guys might not have, and it provides a good balance for the whole squad. Yeah, I'll tell you, it, and he never looked overmatched or anything. He looked like a great leader, and uh, he was out there. Um, so he's your co-host. And then there was a guy, I mean, uh, you've watched it closer than I have, but in the game with Iran, I mean, wow, Josh Sargent just swallowed the ball up. He was great, also from St. Louis. Yeah, they both actually went to the same high school um, Unbelievable. at different times. Yeah, St. Dominic's High School. So uh, that's crazy to have both of them playing at the same time uh, for the U.S. national team at a World Cup, not only from the same town, but from the same high school. It's pretty rare. Um, and it's kind of cool. Uh, it was kind of uh, interesting to have them both on the show at the same time yeah. and to see how things played out at the World Cup. Uh, for both of them was was great too. Yeah, and uh, they lose on Saturday, three to one. So sad uh, to uh, the Netherlands. Uh, what would you think of that game? Uh, I thought it was their poorest performance of all four so far. I think mm. that um, they 
defensively were not as strong as they had been. And the first two goals, they basically um, just didn't track runners. You know, they kind of switched off and didn't track the runners that allowed for um, the Netherlands' first two goals. I think that in the final third, offensively, the, the final ball was just not there. It was lacking. Um, they didn't have strikers who could consistently provide an offensive threat in, in trying to score. Um, and I think that it was one of those games where the Netherlands had a lot of quality all over the pitch and their tactics were pretty sound. And I think that the U S had its poorest game at the worst time. I wonder if it was a a fatigue injuries, you know, a Sergeant also, uh, that uh, Captain America getting injured with the pelvic interview uh, in contusion. Uh, do you think it kind of caught up with him in that way? I don't know. I mean, it's always hard to say in terms of fatigue. I mean, but let's face it. Every team plays the same amount of games and you got to be ready. I and mean, that's why you train. That's why, um, you know, you get fit and you get all the conditioning work in ahead of time. And so I don't think any of the players would use that as an excuse. I just think that they lack some of the technical skills. They at least didn't show it that they needed to have. And the Netherlands did. Um, The Netherlands executed where the U S did not. Um, You know, there's kind of a lot of debate, whether it was tactics or whether it was just execution. And I think it was a little bit of both, but I think it was more the lack of execution on the part of the U.S. because, let's face it, if they defend uh, a little more rigorously, they don't allow the goals they did. Um, and then if they take their chances offensively, I mean, Pulisic should have had that opening goal in the first 10 mm. minutes, um, uh, an opportunity that he didn't score on. And there were a few others where they had decent chances to score that they didn't capitalize as well and really didn't even get quality shots off. So. Um, I think it was probably more execution than anything. But at this point in the tournament, you're only going to get so many chances, and when you don't capitalize, you end up going home. Well, I uh, I totally agree. It seemed like, you know, I know more about hockey than about uh, soccer, but that late trailer guy that, you know, they pass back to that guy, he takes the big shot, that's always a tough one. And it seemed like those, like you said, those two goals at least were just – tracking back and somebody wasn't on that guy. Yeah. The first one especially surprised me because Tyler Adams was the midfielder uh, who would have been tracking and should have been marking him. And it's bizarre to me because he was such a good defensive presence throughout the tournament. And it's not like he was sprinting and was just beaten to the ball. When you watch the replay, it doesn't even look like he was trying to mark him like he didn't think he was a threat or that somebody else was going to pick him up. He was just kind of jogging back, but that was his guy. And he didn't make enough of an effort to get to him. And then on the second goal, it was Virginia Gass, who just uh, was a step slow. Um, the the forward for the Netherlands, Daly Blind, just anticipated the ball was going to come across. And so he starts his run. Gass doesn't anticipate that that's going to happen, so he's a step behind, and that's all it takes. And those two defensive lapses cost them two goals. Man, is it going to be a haunting thing for them? Or it seems like it's going to be a haunting thing versus they were just a lot better. Because we had many more offensive chances. Or is that another thing, another question by design? Were the Netherlands trying to kind of draw us in that way so they could catch us in the wrong spot? 
Yeah, I don't think the Netherlands minded not having a lot of the ball. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, when we did have the ball, we did have opportunities to go forward um, and get in some dangerous spots. And we just didn't make the proper final pass. Um, or we had a heavy touch in the penalty box. Or something that, uh, you know, kind of frustrated me is we just weren't making runs. You know, diagonal runs, in channels, taking defenders out of position. It was too stagnant at times. And so they weren't doing the right things, I think, in the final third that could create more legitimate scoring opportunities. It's one thing to get the ball around the edge of the penalty box, but that's not necessarily something that equates to a genuine scoring chance. Mm. Um, You might be in the final third, but to really create a scoring opportunity, at least a genuine one, you got to do more than that. You got to be making runs. You got to have pace. You got to have movement. You got to be dragging the defense out of position. And they just weren't doing enough of that. They were uh, sometimes relying on these crosses. And, you know, you can't do that against a team like the Netherlands where they have such tall, physical defenders. And most of our guys um, at that point were undersized. Um, and just you can't win those aerial battles. So you got to find a different way to do it. Yeah, they definitely seem like big dudes, man, on the they headers are. and that. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. You might not realize this, Paul, but maybe you do. I mean, you're an erudite guy. Yes. Uh, the Netherlands, for a long time, uh, was the country that had the tallest population. Like, on average, around the world, the Netherlands had the tallest people really? in their population and was just within the last year overtaken by Montenegro in that category. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> oh, yes. man. Montenegro coming on strong with the late push <laughs> to take over the lead as tallest nation. I knew that. <laughs> I already knew that. Uh, absolutely. Sure That's Steve Schlager <laughs> from NBC Sports talking about his podcast Indirect uh, along with him and Tim Ream from the USA soccer team. Well, this game also allows me the opportunity to do my favorite Austin Powers quote. And uh, it was Austin Powers' dad, Michael Kane, And he said, there's two things I hate. People who are intolerant of others' nationalities and the Dutch. That's always been my favorite. <laughs> and That's the good. Dutch. Yes. That's good. Uh, so do you continue the podcast uh, with the loss? Uh, how does that work? Well, I don't know. Now that Tim is out of the World Cup, um, I may just have to drop him. I don't know if he's yeah. of much value anymore uh, <laughs> now that he's not playing in the World Cup. So I... They just have to search for a new co-host. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah it, you do. Uh, I can do it. Right. I can do it. Just like I said, I knew about Montenegro. Yes. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, yeah, so the show will continue. I mean, it's a weekly show. Um, and so we probably um, next week will have a full World Cup recap, depending on Tim's travel schedule. Uh, leaving Doha and getting back to London. I don't exactly know how that's going to go as of yet, but um, during the World Cup, we've been confined to just doing shorter segments because of his schedule. He hasn't had time to tape a full show, uh, so we've just been taping shorter segments, and I've been having other guests on the show. So now that he'll be back to a, to a more regular schedule, we'll you know have a full debrief and hopefully have a full show where we can break down the World Cup in general and uh, you know just kind of talk about uh, the good, the bad, and where things go from here. 
Yeah, that'll be cool to break it down. Steve, do you get a sense, did you get a sense of what's required of these guys uh, as far as press, as far as pressure goes since you uh, were working with Reem as well? Uh, well, there was the moment before the Iran game where uh, their head coach, Greg Berhalter, was asked by that Iranian journalist um, why he has not contacted the U.S. government about Iranian warships or U.S. warships that are encircling a certain region. I forgot the specifics of it, but it's something to do with geopolitical warfare. Um, and he was wow. asked about that. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you consider that pressure. A little or, bit of pressure there. Yeah, yeah maybe a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, I think as far as, you know, the press they do, it's, it's pretty routine Controlled. and regimented. And, you know, where they're, uh, you know, they do press conferences while they're over there. I mean, the pressure, I think, you know, speaks for itself. I mean, it's the World Cup. It's the biggest stage that they're ever going to compete on. And you know, the thing about this event is it's once every four years. So no matter who you are as a player, you never know if you're going to go back and play in another one yeah. because a lot can happen in the next four years. Um, you know, in your career with other players who are coming along, who knows where things are going to be in that time. Uh, so the pressure to take advantage of it when you get that moment, um, yeah, I would have to think is as great as anything you'll ever face as a professional soccer player. Mm, mm, I can only imagine. I think a lot of people disappointed today are maybe hoping that, you know, in four years, this super young team is uh, ready and more uh, mature with, on a big game like this one. Yeah, I don't know. I think that you, one mistake I think people make is saying that, um, well, this, you know, will set us up for the next time or this is a, a good learning experience. I don't necessarily buy into that simply because of this, because of the fact that, you don't pick up in four years where you just left off. Mm. Like I said, so much happens in the next four years, and a lot can change. It could be a new head coach. There could be new players. Um, so I think you have to take every situation as, instead of like these building blocks, I think you have to take it as its own uh, you know, individual experience. The whole qualifying process up through the World Cup and not say, well, you know, we'll be better in four years because of this, mm -hmm. because you may not have a lot of the same players, and you may not have the same coach. So uh, I think it's more about taking care of managing, you know, the moments that you were in and that specific experience as opposed to looking at this as something that's going to play out over, you know, a 20-year span, and, you know, you're just in the, the first part of that. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Paul Cook with Steve Schlanger. It seems like, you know, again, with the NHL kind of analogy, you lose in the Stanley Cup finals or, you know, uh, maybe even uh, before that. And you get the next, the team gets some maturity for the next year, uh, which is immediate, not four years later and not, right. I mean, it's competitive, but this is the most competitive in the world, this uh, FIFA World Cup. Right. It, it makes such a big difference when you're talking club teams that are playing in a professional season, you know, and you're just talking about, hey, uh, you know, we lost in the Stanley Cup final, the NBA finals, whatever it is. We're going to take a few months off and then mm -hmm. we start right back up because that's a much better analogy because, you know, by and large, the roster is going to be the same and that experience and whether it's good or bad is going to carry over. And you can use that more uh, in a productive way versus taking a four-year span in between. Um, I, I just don't know how much really 
you know, uh, translate from one World Cup to the next. Because if you go back, you know, several World Cups, you can see people making the same cases, right? Oh, we were a young team, we'll be better next time. And then they weren't. You know, they didn't qualify. Or back in 2002, they made it to the quarterfinals. Well, they've never been back to the quarterfinals since then. And we're talking it's been 20 years. So you can just keep saying that, like, oh, it'll be better next time, we'll learn from this. But that can also be a trap. And it just becomes this same process over and over versus saying, hey, you know, let's focus on this World Cup, being the best we can, figuring out how to make it work and not let ourselves off the hook, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder how many guys will be back in four years and uh, not that you can, you know, read the crystal ball. Do you think the coach will be back? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, It's one of those things where um, I think that he's made a case for himself to come back, but I, I think that, you know, there could be some ways that if the powers that be wanted to make a change where they, they would also have um, a process to do that. And, you know, they can make the argument the other way that we need to do more and uh, maybe that, you know, Greg Berhalter didn't do enough. I don't know. I, I think it could be 50, 50. Um, um, I do think that it's important because the next world cup will be in the U S. So, you know, the attention will be enormous. And I think that, um, you know, again, the powers that be, really need to sit down and think, okay, um, you know, this is an, an enormously important World Cup for us. Is Greg the right guy? Yeah. Is he, you know, the guy that is going to learn from mistakes that were made here? Is he going to grow? Is he going to put us in the best position to win? Or should we go out and get someone who maybe isn't American, but who's a sophisticated international manager and bring them in? Um, I don't know. It, it could go either way. Um, and I know that I think that for an American World Cup, it would be nice to have a U.S. manager, but I also don't think it's by any means a necessity. You want to have the best manager. You want to have mm-hmm. the best guy in the position to get the most out of the team. And whether they're not that's Berhalter, I don't know. Um, I think yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what they think about that. Well, we were talking about pressure earlier. Uh, the next one in the U.S., I can only imagine the pressure on the U.S. team for that World Cup. Yeah, and um, you know it's going to be so different than the last time the World Cup was here because it's almost been 30 years now. Um, and they're also splitting it between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. So um, the countries are sort of like co-hosting. Mm, North um, America. But, huh? you know, it's, yeah, it's going to be, you know, uh, I think, you know, a situation where there's going to be you know, a lot of pressure on the U.S., but we'll see where we're at in four years. Again, that's a, that's a long time away. We'll see where the roster is, who the coach is, and, you know, what the expectations are. I mean, I think that, you know, they need to find a way here um, in these next several years to put together a roster that going into – that final year in the months leading up to that world cup that is more or less set, you know, barring injuries and things like that, Mm -hmm. but not tinkering late, find the right combination of guys, find guys that are best for the positions, um, stick with that and try to get as many quality, you know, friendly matches in as possible against good competition, because that's another thing. They're not going to have to qualify because they're a host. So you're not going to be playing any meaningful games leading up to that tournament. 
which can be a detriment because you're not facing any pressure. You're not facing, you know, high quality, intense matches. So it's up to the, the United States Soccer Federation to go out and schedule exhibition matches against good teams to just get the team ready. Um, so that'll be a big part of that process as well. Wow, that's very interesting. You don't have to play in if it's in your country. Well, before we talk about who you pick to uh, win the whole thing or be there uh, in the final, what about this for an idea with the coach coming up? A kind of a Herb Brooks mentality, like the miracle on ice, a coach that gets every single player to hate him. Would that work? Get every single USA soccer player to hate you like, you know, like like at Lake Placid where they did that. Is that is that going to be a good philosophy, do you think? What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they might want to um, Come on. twice on that What do you one. think of that? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, they were amateurs, you know. I, I, but yeah, they were. It was a different time. Kurt Russell. Sport, but, uh, okay. you know. Hey, but if they can find a coach who had, you know, that great um, Herb Brooks quote. I mean, he had one of the all-time great quotes. Uh, quotes. What? Um, when um, it was in the, the gold medal game, right, against Finland. Mm-hmm. So they'd already beaten uh, the Soviet Union, right, which was the huge win. That was, that was the actual miracle on ice, right? Yes. But then they had to win the, the, the next game against Finland in the gold medal game to actually win the gold medal. And they were trailing in that game. Um, and then in between periods, um, Herb Brooks was basically saying to the team, you know, you, you beat the Soviet Union, but if you lose this game, he's like, he said, you know, basically something to the effect of, um, you know, if, if you lose this game now, you know, you'll take it to your effing graves, <laughs> you know? And, and he was right, you know, yeah. because, you know, how do you beat the Soviet Union and lose to Finland in the gold medal game? And, you know, that charged him up and they wound up winning, so... Hey, if we can find a coach that can inspire a team like that, I'm all in. That's so Herb Brooks right there. So Herb Brooks, exactly. You know? I think I have the idea there, and I'm going to see if we can shoot that ahead to the uh, selection committee there with the U.S. In uh, uh, I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> Something about personnel. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so Steve Slanger, you got the uh, podcast indirect with your host, USA soccer player, Tim Ream, USA team. From St. Louis, uh, who do you guys think is going to win the the tournament, the 2022 FIFA World Cup? You say tournament? Tournament. The tournament. <laughs> it's the tournament. Is that like a, a combination accent, like Dick uh, Vitale, English, baby. French, <laughs> like Bronx. Some Czech there too? in I there. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's a good question because. Um, at the beginning of the tournament, I would have said Brazil, but now with Neymar's injury, I'm a little uh, unsure about that. I just don't know how healthy he's going he's gonna to be, and even if he does play, how effective he can be. Now, they still have you know, the depth and the talent to overcome that, but that's a big piece that's missing. Um, if I had to say and put money on one team, yes, you do. Um, at this point, I would actually say Argentina. Mm, um, and the reason the reason being, you know, and it's not just because, oh, it'd be a great way, you know, for Messi to finally in his last World Cup um, win uh, the World Cup for the first time. But I think that, you know, they were tested 
in the group stage. You know, they lost to Saudi Arabia. They were kind of, uh, you know, facing a lot of pressure. They overcame that. They got through it. And now um, it, it seemed like there was that switch that was kind of flipped for them. Mm-hmm. And now I think they're in a good spot in terms of the rhythm, uh, the talent. I think that there's, there's a lot going in their favor. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would pick them but would not be surprised if it's Brazil um, in the end as well. Well, you said they were tested kind of like NCAA tournament stuff. When you're tested early, a team is like, whoa, wait, what happened? And then they just turn it on and they get hot at the right time. Right. And you got to, you know, many times uh, coming in as one of the favorites and a talented team, you face adversity, right? And early on when you are faced with that adversity, if you don't manage your way through it, you get upset and you get bounced early. But mm-hmm. if you are able to absorb it, deal with it, and overcome it, then you're kind of home free in a lot of ways uh, because mm-hmm. you know it, it eases the pressure, it frees you up, and then you tap into all of the talent and you know you show the reasons why you were one of the favorites to begin with. And I think Argentina might be in that place right now um, to where that uh, you know they're finally settling into that groove. And I think that, you know, they, they, they face that adversity and they could, uh, you know, they could run with it from here. I like it. Steve Schlanger, where can we find your podcast or how does that work? Well, as you know, Paul, mm-hmm. um, you can find it anywhere you get your podcast, <laughs> as the saying goes, right? Yes. Uh, which, by the way, like, I've never really always understood that. Like, I mean, you just go into, you know, like a Google search and say, you know, where do I find my podcast? <laughs> Or where do I get podcasts? That's um, true. So I, I don't know anybody that's actually ever done that. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, all those places. Um, it's also um, a show that's on Sirius XM once a week on Thursdays, uh, channel 157, which is their soccer channel. Would you share my uh, quote about the Dutch with Tim Ream next time you talk for the podcast? You think he hasn't heard of it, though? You think he hasn't heard it? No. I'm pretty obscure. It was not the first um, Austin Powers, so you never know, right? And it's the Michael Caine quote, right? Michael Caine. I'm Michael Michael Caine. Yes. Do you know, by the way, that Michael Caine actually starred in a soccer movie back in the day? Do you know what it is? No, but I remember seeing him trot around out there. Yeah, he's totally out of shape. I mean, he was not, like, in any way looking like a guy who's playing soccer. Phil Mickelson Uh, running around out there. one One of my favorite movies as a kid. Victory. Victory. Pele was uh, part of the, the the cast as well. It was basically a group of POWs who uh, formed a soccer team when they were held by the Germans um, during the war. And the best thing about that, the most unbelievable thing, the most ridiculous part of the plot, but also <laughs> one of the most <laughs> interesting is the fact that the goalkeeper was Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, he, he, had, he had no idea how to play keeper. Didn't know what he was doing. They, you know, so they, but they made him a keeper. And uh, yeah, that was, I think, one of his first uh, real big acting roles. I remember seeing that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how about Kevin Sly uh, in goal for you? Man, star power. That's what it's all about. All right, Steve, thank you so much. It's Paul Cook Talks. Reach out, Paul, at News Talk STL. Thanks for listening.